0: Indeed, O God, we have a Savior who has bled, a Savior whose body has been broken, a Savior who has borne our iniquity, a Savior who has lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, a Savior whose finished work means forgiveness and everlasting life to all those who embrace Him. And for that Savior, we are a grateful people. We are a people who have been overcome By a gospel that has reminded us that there is grace that is greater than all our sin. We know how much sin there is in in, in us, Lord. And to, to think that you have provided a means by which forgiveness can be available to people as guilty as I. As wicked as I. It is a gospel that is... Almost too wonderful to believe. And so we give ourselves afresh to the one who has loved us and redeemed us by providing a Savior for us. Prepare us to meet that Savior at this table in the coming minutes. And use every dime of this that we give. To exalt him, we ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thank you. You probably don't recognize this book, but um, about 35-40 years ago, this little book right here caused quite a stir in the Christian church. It's a book by Ray Steadman called Body Life. Uh, there was a lot of things that came out of it. Uh, some of you, some of you might be familiar with some of them. But, but my point is this. One of the things that he says in this book is that he likens the Christian church to a, a spectator sport. He said, we've turned the church into a spectator sport. And, and he went on to give this illustration that I just loved. It was, he likened it to a football game. He said, you've got 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest and 80,000 people in the stands des- desperately in need of exercise. And he says the church is like that. You've got a few on the stage that are in need a rest, and the rest of the congregation is frozen assets. And so what he was trying to do is set free um, the body of Christ, the believers, the, the Christian church. Now, guys, one of the things that we like to do here at Gracie Van is in our, our worship services, we, we would love to think that we create a worship service that is participatory and celebratory. But let's be honest. Most Christian worship services, indeed, turn you in to a spectator. And we're as guilty as anybody. Except once a month. Once a month, we try to engage you. We try, in whatever way we can think of, to, I'm going to use an ugly word, to force you. To participate. Very honestly, guys, you've got to. If it's nothing other than passing the tray down the aisle, you've got to participate today. And so back in the fall, what we did is I told you a story about David who was hanging out with a couple of his friends one day and he expresses, oh, how I would love to have a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. And, and those three guys risk their lives. They go, get, he, they go to get him a drink of water and he pours it out and says, I can't do this. I can't drink something that cost these guys their, almost their lives. And the point of that little story was, these guys were so concerned to give their king what he wanted. And so what I've been saying to you in these monthly communion services is, what are we going to give to the king that he wants? What is it that he wants? And let's give it to him. What do you say? So we've we've spent a service in confession. We've spent one in thanksgiving. We've spent one in praise, and we're going to spend another one today in praise. That's all by way of preface and and introduction. If you've got your Bibles in your laps, you might want to take a look real quick at Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is going to guide us today, and then others are going to guide us further. Guys, uh, I'm not going to even read you Psalm 40, but I want you to notice a couple of things about it. I want you to notice, um, let me just read you the first couple of verses. Uh, The psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Now, gang, uh, I've read as many commentaries on this as I could uh, uh, imagine. But um, nobody knows exactly what event David is alluding to here. David is pointing backwards backwards to something that happened in his life that was bad. He calls it a miry bog uh, and uh, from the pit of destruction. There was something that was in David's life in the past that was so bad, so bad, and God brought him through it. Now, in light of that, look at verse 10, and this is my point. David says, in light of what God has done for me in the in my situation, I have, I mean, verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed, this is the sentence, I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. David says, in essence, I went through a terrible thing. God got me through it, and I did not hide it from the from God's people. I did not keep it from them. There was an obligation on my part to come tell them what God has done. I'd like to introduce you to two friends of mine, Steve Jennifer. Would you come? Guys, um, when I first saw this, verse 10, this is the couple that I thought about. Um, many of you know um, all that they've experienced in the past while, but
1: I want them to tell you about it. But ordinarily, I can speak uh, without notes, but I would ask you to bear with me this morning. Um, in, in August of 2004... Jennifer and I learned that our son Aubrey would be born with some life-threatening conditions. Early on, we made a decision to have his delivery and care at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital in Nashville. We decided that I would stay here to keep Wes, our nine-year-old son, in school with help from my mom. Jennifer would live in an apartment close to the hospital until we could bring him home. For five months, Jennifer practically lived at the hospital. I would commute on weekends and whenever his condition became critical. During this time, the church truly exemplified the love of Christ. People I never met brought my family food three times a week. They never missed a meal. They surrounded us with prayer, sharing our burden. My life was a blur of work, prayer, travel, hospital, being dad. But the one constant was this church family, which was faithful and kind. Within weeks of his birth, we discovered that Aubrey's condition was more complicated than we ever imagined. We know that the church and many others prayed for his healing constantly. Unfortunately, his condition would take quick turns for the worse. I felt at one time in December of 2004 that I was truly walking in the valley of the shadow of death. The night prior to his heart surgery, the anxiety, the fear of his potential death, the weight I felt was nearly unbearable. My upbringing told me that if I had enough faith, and I prayed hard enough, and I did not doubt, and with everyone else praying, healing was nearly certain. I remember calling Dr. Young and telling him that I was at my wit's end, because I knew that this teaching was not true. I thought about Job and how much I was not Job. Then as I was praying, and I can only attribute this to the Holy Spirit, I gave up my desire to control the situation. I prayed that God's will would prevail, even if it meant Aubrey's early death. And from that point on, I felt a great burden was lifted off me. Like Dave Hogue mentioned a few weeks ago, I can't tell you how many times I saw God in our lives at that time. I remember during one of the three times that Aubrey nearly died. I had rushed to Nashville with basically the clothes that I had on. and Jennifer had gently chided me for looking kind of scruffy. So I went to the Green Hills Mall to buy some clothes. I walked in, went straight to the men's department, and a salesman approached me and asked me where I was from. I told him, and for no apparent reason, he asked me why I was there. I told him my son was in the neonatal intensive care unit at Vanderbilt. Without hesitation, he smiled, and immediately he asked me if he could pray for me there and then. Within three minutes of walking into a department store 200 miles from home, I found myself being prayed for by a perfect stranger at one of the lowest points in Aubrey's life. It It was always at the lowest ebb that something like that would occur, So to sum it up, I was humbled by what we experienced, both by the depth of our despair and the love that we experienced. It's difficult to convey the countless expressions of kindness that poured out of the church at that time. Even though our lives were being turned upside down, it kept us going. It was a beautiful example of obeying Christ's command to share each other's burdens. I don't know why God wanted us to have our son for such a brief period. I know that his life impacted a lot of people in a positive way, and now I know in a special way that every life has meaning and value and was made in God's image. God's love was shown through his people in other ways. Near the end, the hospital allowed us to take Aubrey outside and on those days, the best days of his life, God allowed him to witness gentle breezes, sunshine, sprinkling rain, a rainbow, and a tremendous outpouring of love from his family. Partly as a result of this experience, Vanderbilt is dedicating a garden with special equipment in that location to allow other families to enjoy time with their critically ill ch- children and give some dignity to their harsh reality. Um, I want to say that I know that there are many others that have experienced death and loss and, and trials and that I don't presume to know how you feel about this experience or your experience because we all see it through our own lens, uh, but we're uh, mindful of, of, of the way that everyone looks at this differently. I would like to take a moment to publicly thank all of you for what you did for my family during this time. As I said before, my life was a blur at the time, and I can't remember and don't even know some of the people that showed up at our doorstep with a hot meal, a warm smile, a word of encouragement, but I am deeply thankful for your kindness and your obedience. There were many scriptures that also comforted us. Today, 1 Peter 5.10 stands out. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you.
2: Um, My story is a little bit longer than Steve's. Um, In the spring of last year, Steve and I found found out that we were expecting our second child. After suffering a miscarriage two years prior, we were thrilled. We felt like God had answered our prayers and blessed us with another child. Our oldest son, Wesley, who was eight at the time, was excited too and hoped this would be the brother he had always wanted. Isn't it interesting how a certain comment stands out in your mind? I can remember so clearly my Sunday school class the day before our ultrasound. Jim Umloff made the statement that if we were not experiencing a test or trial yet, it just wasn't our time. Little did we know we were already in the greatest trial of our life. During our routine ultrasound at 20 weeks, we learned two things. First, Wesley was going to have the little brother he had hoped for. But we also learned our son would be born with a very unique medical condition. I personally do not use the term birth defect. It implies something not perfect, damaged, or inferior in some way. Psalm 139 says God is the creator, the one who knits us together, and we are all fearfully and wonderfully wonderfully made. As you can imagine, Steve and I were devastated by the challenges our son would face. Multiple surgeries, a lengthy hospital stay, and a high mortality rate. I remember the doctor telling us we only had a short window of time to make a very important decision. We were informed if we chose to abort that it must be done prior to 24 weeks. We were planning on leaving the next day for a family vacation and were strongly encouraged not to travel due to the time that we would lose. But termination was never an option for us. As we watched our son on the ultrasound monitor, heart beating, fully formed, and quite active, it was clear that wherever this pregnancy took us, our son was in God's hands. Aubrey William Brown was born full term on December 13th, weighing just under seven pounds. As you know, our precious little boy passed away on May 20th. He lived for 158 days, all of which were spent at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital in Nashville. When Dr. Young approached us about speaking today, I was terrified and I still am. I was reminded of Moses telling God that he was not eloquent enough and to send someone else. But God told Moses he would teach him what to say and help him speak. Dr. Young also pointed out Psalm 40 written by David. Verse 10 says, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. My goal today is to share some of what I have learned about God's faithfulness. I became a Christian on September 16, 2001 at 30 years old. I started hearing words like covenant family, sharing each other's burdens and the love of Christ. I didn't understand what those words meant, but through this experience, God has taught me incredible lessons about his faithfulness and mercy. My covenant family, Gracie Van, rallied around us from the beginning. You provided meals for Steve, Wesley, and my mother-in-law, Mary, for the entire six months I lived in Nashville. So many of you prayed so faithfully for Aubrey and, and us. I have a large box of cards, letters, and notes reflecting those prayers. On many occasions, after a long day in the hospital, I would go home to my empty apartment, feeling quite discouraged and lonely. I would check my mail and find several letters of encouragement. Reading those cards was like a jolt of energy. They meant more to me than you will ever know. I would take the letters to the hospital and read them to Aubrey. I would tell him about the people that loved him and could not wait to meet him. My mother-in-law, Mary Brown Pearson, sacrificed so much for us. She moved into my house while I was gone and took care of my family. She maintained routine and a sense of normal life for Wesley, who was in school. Mary gave me the gift of her time, which enabled me to fully devote myself to Aubrey and his care. Mary is a prayer warrior and gave praying without ceasing a new meaning. I will forever be humbled by her selflessness. A church in Brentwood, Tennessee, called Brentwood Baptist, made daily visits to me and several other families with sick children. They never missed a day. I don't even really know how they came to know about Aubrey. One day, I asked if they could send someone equipped to facilitate a Bible study for some of the mothers at Vanderbilt. We were desperately in need of ministering. Through God's providence, I met a special woman named Janet Stringer who answered the call to come alongside us. She had a desire to make a difference in my life. I was 200 miles away from my family, friends, church, everything. Janet made herself available to me at any time, visited frequently, sent meals to us from her Sunday school class, and became my friend. Janet adored Aubrey. She was able to look beyond all of his equipment and medicalness and just see a precious child of God. She made homemade cupcakes for Aubrey's five-month birthday party and celebrated along with us. We affectionately call her Aunt Janet, and to this day she is still ministering faithfully to families at Vanderbilt. God also taught me a lesson about healing, not physical healing, but relationship healing. My relationship with my father was pretty broken. At one point, we had gone over 10 years with hardly any contact. Even though we had both become Christians later in life, our past choices, actions, and behaviors seemed to really hinder any chance of a real father-daughter relationship. For some reason... My dad was one of the first people I called after learning about Aubrey's condition. He was present at Aubrey's birth and also present the day he died. He made several 12 hour trips from Texas to be there for me and also to spend time with his grandson. I remember one day him telling me to leave the hospital for a couple of hours and take a break. When I came back, my dad was face to face with Aubrey reading scripture to him and praying over him what a precious and beautiful memory that is to me it is obvious that god used aubrey to bring us closer together my father became someone i could count on and someone i could trust aubrey also touched my father in another way during a tragic accident when he was 12 years old my dad was directly involved in the death of his brother my father said he made a conscious effort to never think about that tragedy from his childhood through aubrey's death god forced him to confront the thoughts and emotions he has held inside for over 50 years he has been able to open up to others through this experience including me recently he has shared with me a deep desire to minister to others who have dealt with accidental deaths there is no explanation for this change other than god and what he can do with the most horrific things in our lives. Probably the greatest witness to God's mercy came at the end of Aubrey's life. He had undergone a procedure which revealed irreversible lung damage, and his prognosis was very poor. Steve and I were faced with an impossible choice. We could either continue on with huge amounts of life support, or we could take him off the ventilator. How do you make that decision? and then choose the day that your child will die. During this time in Nashville, I kept a journal. This is what I wrote on May 17th while agonizing over this decision. Dear Father God, I am so overwhelmed. I don't even know how to pray right now. I know and am comforted by the fact that you are in control. I thank you for my precious baby, Aubrey, I praise you for the time that I have with him. I pray for his comfort and that he would not suffer in any way. I pray that you would take the decisions out of our control, but also that you would allow me the end that I need. I pray for peace and clarity during these days. Father, I thank you for these wonderful and amazing days we have had the past week. I pray that when the time comes, that we will know how to handle them in the best way for Aubrey, not for us. I thank you that you have ordained all of these circumstances and allowed me to be here every day. What a joy and blessing to witness my angel's life, even through the hard and difficult days. Thank you, Lord, for loving Aubrey even more than I could ever love him. Thank you that I have full and total assurance that Aubrey will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And thank you, Father, that I, too, will spend eternity with you. Father, I pray for grace and mercy during this time for all of us that have been touched by Aubrey's life. Our earnest prayer was that God would make this decision clear. But I also prayed that we would be present when he died. I was so afraid that I would not be with him. I could not bear to imagine him dying in his bed alone. So I asked his nurses to please hold him if that time came and I was not there. The last two weeks of Aubrey's life were the best. He was taken outside to experience the sunshine. What an event that was. Aubrey was so curious about this change of scenery, looking around and checking things out. He was moved into a small bed rather than a crib so that I could lay down right beside him. He had such a surprised look on his face the first time I climbed into bed with him. In the very early morning hours of May 19th, the hospital called and told us to come right away. Aubrey was not doing well. When we walked into his room, all of the lights were on, and he was surrounded by medical staff. It was clear that Aubrey was dying. Steve and I wanted to be outside when he died. Around 5 a.m., we all moved to the garden. We sat in a swing, holding our son, and watching the sunrise. Aubrey was still connected to a ventilator at this point as we were trying to give his grandparents and his brother Wesley time to get to Nashville. By God's grace, we were blessed with one more day with him. Aubrey's last full day of life, Thursday, May 19th, was easily my favorite. All his vital signs started improving dramatically, and he seemed to be out of immediate danger. We actually had a party with Aubrey as the guest of honor. He was surrounded by people that loved him, his parents, grandparents, Wesley, and the doctors, nurses, and staff of Vanderbilt that had taken such amazing care of him his whole life. I have some wonderful memories from that glorious day. We spent the whole day outside until it started raining. I spent that night in his bed, snuggled closely to him for the first and only time. The next morning, May 20th, we took Aubrey back outside, where he passed away in our arms. The end of his life was peaceful and beautiful. God had answered our prayers. He had clearly called Aubrey home and had given us the privilege of being with our son when he took his last breath. It has been almost nine months since Aubrey passed away. I trust in the knowledge that Aubrey is in the presence of God and that one day we will be reunited. But Steve and I both still grieve the loss of our son daily. I am not sure that that will ever go away. It is so very hard, and I continue to be amazed by the intensity of grief. But I am holding firm to the promise of Psalm 34:18. That says the Lord is close to the broken-hearted and rescues those crushed in spirit. I also know my faithful covenant family is still walking alongside of us and sharing our burden. In closing, I understand that it can be difficult to relate to someone who has endured the loss of a child. This type of loss is so profound and so unnatural. As parents, we should not bury our children. There are other families in this room that have had to do the unthinkable. Please don't be frightened by our tears or uncomfortable if we mention our beloved children. They will always be an important part of our life. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you.
0: I read you three verses again? I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Maybe those words have more meaning. Now. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the kindnesses that you've shown the Browns. But Father... There are other Browns in this room, people who have seen you do great and merciful things in their lives as well. And so we come. We come as your people to praise you as a good God, a God who is not deserting his people in the midst of their trouble and trial. We bless you, O God, and now meet us. Meet us at this table as we remember the death and sufferings Of your son, the one, the only son that didn't have to die, but chose to die so that we might be forgiven. We ask it in his name. Amen.